0: You're listening to... You're listening to... You're listening to... You're listening to... The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. All right, I invite you to turn to Second Samuel chapter 5, Second Samuel chapter 5, and we're going to continue to uh, talk about David. We've been talking about David for the last few weeks, and if you've not been here, don't worry about it. I'm going to catch you up. You're not missing a whole lot. If you'd like to listen, you can go online and listen. We do record them. Uh, if you need a good nap... You can listen to them. They'll put you like right to sleep. It's great. You know, if you're like struggling to sleep at night, uh, you don't need to go to your doctor. Just put on the podcast. They'll put you right out. Um, some of you, it will happen now. Some of you will just be delayed. But either way, it's my gift to you. Um, especially like on a Sunday. There's just something about Sundays make you tired, right? You just sleep better on Sundays. I don't know. Anybody Sunday afternoon naps like part of your rhythm? Like, man, it's like I just can't stay awake. I don't know what it is. I just want to sleep on Sundays. Anyway. Um, so David. David was, again, a remarkable person, stood out in history, right? Just this this character that jumps off the pages of Scripture, and it's is not like anybody else that we read about. Um, he was called a man after God's own heart, which is uh, our, the title of our series, A Heart After His, a man after God's own heart. And it was so interesting because God said this about David. So God said, David, he has a heart-like mine. so God's pointing it out. It must be true. And the first week we talked about the context of David's life, how he it said he fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. Right? And in that lineage we read, right? there's like 42 generations. David's just one name. But his name stands out. It says when Jesus was called the son of David, even though there's many other names in that list. Just something about David. He was just a name in history, but he was very humble in that he, he knew he was a, a name, just a name, but he fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. He did what he was sent to do, and then he was a, a shepherd boy early on, right? And uh, he's anointed king. He's this guy's sitting out there with a the sheep, and then this guy comes along and says, hey, you're going to be the next king, and he's like, cool. I'm going to be the next king. He's got you know seven older brothers, and he's like, I'm going to be the next king. This is great. And then uh, he goes back to the sheep. And he's waiting and he's waiting and it's fifteen, maybe twenty years later when he actually becomes king. But he never gives up on that dream and we talked about how his heart is, is hopeful. Or God never gives up on us. He's got this hopeful heart. David had a hopeful heart. And then the famous story of David and Goliath, right? You know, a little guy beats the big guy, you know, like if the Knicks ever win a game this year, ever, it will be David versus Goliath because they're so bad. They might they might go over the season. It's really atrocious. It's hard to watch. It really is. Um and so David's walking out there and Goliath is big, and, and David just it says he runs at him. He runs at him, like, who does that? Who runs at like people that are supposed to destroy you and want to kill you and are threatening to you know dismember you? And David runs at him and defeats him because David was fearless. He, remember, fear and faith have the same definition. It's the belief that what hasn't happened yet will. So faith is the belief that what hasn't happened yet will, and fear is the belief that what hasn't happened yet will. Same definition, the only difference is who your trust is in. Right? Fear is faith in the enemy. Right? David had trust in God. And he says, I believe in a God that's bigger than my enemy. So I'm fearless and I'm running at him. And David wins. Hard after God believes anything is possible. And then then he goes from there back to the sheep. But then Saul, who is the king at the time, even though David's anointed to be the next king, Saul is the king and Saul's just not he's just he he blew it. He, he's just not doing well. And he starts having mental issues and it says he's struggling and he was tormented in his mind and David comes along. And it just so happens that David can play a harp. And he learned to play music when he's out there. Because what else are you going to do with a bunch of sheep? So he's got a harp, he's got a guitar player, as Nick said. And it just proves that God loves guitar players. And David you know, is playing music. And it's played such music that it soothed and brought calmness to Saul's spirit. See, David had a heart of compassion. It wasn't just for him. He cared about others. And, and, and if Saul is struggling, David comes alongside and just began to comfort him. And it's amazing how God uses that, those things in our life, to help us when we're, when we're at David to bring comfort to Saul. You know, to somebody else who's struggling, God can send you to comfort them. And then when you're Saul and you're struggling, God will send you Davids, people to come comfort your heart. And then the next relationship we looked at is Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan's the prince. He's supposed to be the next king. And yet he sees something in David and says, you know what? No, this is you, not me. God, God's anointed you. And Jonathan is selfless and loyal, and he, and he becomes this great friend to David. And David could have been skeptical about Jonathan. He could have been like, hey, your dad's the king. You're going to be prince. I don't really trust you. But David, he, he, he opens up, and he becomes vulnerable with Jonathan, and he trusts in Jonathan. And we see that, that what, what comes back to David, how Jonathan just breathes life into David, into his heart, Right? And Jonathan is just there. We all need a Jonathan in our life. We all need somebody who's going to believe in us, maybe when we don't believe in us. And he's going to encourage us and not quit on us. And said the best way to have a Jonathan in your life is to be a Jonathan to somebody else. Because when you start to be that kind of friend, right? God opens up that sense of vulnerability in your heart and you begin to trust people. And you open up the possibility for that to come back to you. And then Saul just says, You know what, Jonathan, you're being a punk. You should be the next... King Why are you not even trying david 's a threat i 'm going to start i want to kill him so saul the king now david 's the one who is comforting him he 's done nothing but help him and saul's like i 'm going to kill him and he starts to just send people out to try and hunt david down and david 's on the run and he 's in caves he 's hiding in, in, in the wilderness he 's trying to hide from saul right and he 's just out there and there 's this moment where David is in a cave, and Saul just so happens to walk into that cave actually he 's got a to do some business in there, and he's going to the bathroom. And, and David's in the back with 600 men who are like, Um, there's your chance. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. He don't even know we're in here. He's just, he's just, we get, we get, and David doesn't do it. David says, You know what? If God wants me to be king, he's going to have to do it his way. Because I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to strike down the Lord's anointed. I'm not touching him. And in that cave, we see that David's heart was true, it refused. Right? It refused to, to violate his values. He says, I'm going to stand strong here. I'm not going to do, take matters into my own hands. And his integrity showed through in a moment of testing. And now we come to, so that's happened, and then after, and then Saul walks out, and, and David says, Hey, just so you know, I'm not trying to kill you because I could have. And Saul's like, David, you're a better man than me. You're surely going to be king one day. And Saul goes back to the, to the palace, and David goes back to the wilderness for more waiting. It's just seriously waiting and waiting. He's a shepherd and he's waiting. And he kills Goliath and then he's waiting. And then he's comforting Saul and then he's waiting. And then he's on the run and then he's waiting. and he saves Saul's life and he's still waiting. So now Saul's in the palace and David's just, it says he continues to be out in the wilderness. And you can read the story if you like. I'm not going to get into it because it's, it's quite long. But there's a long time for David where he's just continuing to be on the run. And Saul says, you're going to be king. I'm going to stop hunting you. But he, he changes his mind. Right, and he he starts hunting David again. He starts hunting David again, and and several times David. There's another time where David says, you know, I, I was next to you again. I could have killed you again. I'm just not doing it. God actually puts Saul in David's hands, and once again David says, I refuse. I'm not going to do it. You know, he's got a spear standing over Saul. Saul sleeping. Not going to do it. And he walks away, and he says, seriously, stop chasing me. I'm not trying to kill you. So there's this torment, and David even goes to. Even joins the Philistine army, the, the, the one that Goliath was from. David joins them. He's just trying to hide and he's trying to blend in. And they're like, "Isn't isn't this the guy that used to kill us?" And they're like, "Yeah, but I think he's on our side now." And David's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm on your side now." And while they don't, while they while they're going to war, he's actually going out like, you know, raiding all their towns and like they don't even know it. It's it's this crazy story. And time just keeps ticking, and it just seems like nothing's happening different for David. But one day there's a battle. David's not there, and there's a battle with Saul and Jonathan, and they're fighting, and, and Saul's killed in battle. The king, he's killed in battle. And in that same exact battle, his son Jonathan dies as well. It's, 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 a, it's a poignant day in Israel's history. The first king of Israel is dead. Jonathan is dead, and, and David, a messenger comes and tells David the news. Saul is dead, and so is Jonathan. David has been anointed king. Remember, we've just painted this picture, right? He's been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And now the the man who was trying to kill him, the man that's in his way, is now dead. And David grieves. He grieves. He actually writes a song. You can read it. He writes a song of lament for both Saul and Jonathan, for what could have been, for what should have been, for how that should have gone. And his heart broke for them. It was not a happy day for David. It wasn't like, I finally, I get to be king. It wasn't like that. It was this day of deep, deep pain. For the king is dead. And then the people of Judah, which is the southern part of Israel, anoint David king. They're like, okay, he's gone, so you should be king now. And there's two parts of, of, of the nation of Israel. The northern part, which is called Israel. The southern part, which is Judah. They're, they're kind of this one one nation. But they split. The northern part... Anoints Saul's other son. His name is Ish-bosheth. Again, if you're looking for baby names. Ish-bosheth. Okay, you can think about that. You can call him Ish. You can call him Bo. You can call him Sheth. Ish-bo, bosheth. You know, you've got a couple of variations there. All sorts of things. Um, and th- this lasts for seven and a half years. And there's hostility between the two kingdoms. Because one's like, yeah, David's the man now. And the other one's like, no, Saul's son is the man now. And for the, this, this kingdom is kind of divided we're going to pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 3. I'm just going to read one verse and we'll get to five. So if you're there, it's okay. It'll be on the screen. 2 Samuel 3, verse 1 says, That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. Right? And it says, As time passed, David became stronger and stronger while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. See, that's the story here. They're splitting, but... When something is inevitable, you start to see it happening. People try and deny it, but you can see it happening. And David is getting stronger and stronger. And there's all sorts of insurgencies and revolts and plots that are happening during the seven and a half years. And eventually what happens is that ish the son of Saul, the king of the northern kingdom, he's murdered. People rise up and they, and they kill him. And we're going to pick up the story because they now, once he's killed, then the people come to David. The King of the Southern, And we're going to pick that up in second, Samuel chapter five verse one. It says, "Then all the tribes of Israel, the Northern kingdom, went to David at Hebron, which is in the southern part, and they say to him, "We're your own listen, we're family, we're your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. We all know that. See, it's amazing how their tone changes now that their king is dead. Oh, yeah, yeah you were always really the king. Right. Yeah, Mm. Hmm. thanks for saying it now. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. Well, where were you back then? Verse 3, So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in all. Verse 5, He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months. And from Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. i tell you, this was a long time coming. David is finally king over all of Israel. Finally king. This was a long time coming. Scripture says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Right? You ever have something that you're like hoping for and you're just waiting and waiting? Some of you right now, you're waiting for something. You're hoping for a better day, something in, in your personal life or in your business or something to happen or something to change and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And when that day comes, uh oh, it's good. It's gonna be good. Like like we're like Eagles fans. Like what you know, I know it's such a long wait and you finally won a Super Bowl. Congratulations. Right? But like, how did that feel, right? You're still, you're still flying high, right? You're still saying your team's terrible, you lost the Cowboys, I'm sorry. But you're still flying off that one because hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire realized is sweet to the soul. Other translations say it's a tree of life. Right? There's just that sense of, ah, oh, finally. I imagine this was a sacred day for David. It's the day God's promise to him almost two decades earlier is fulfilled. Think about that moment. The moment where they say, King David. Not, right? You're not hearing shepherd boy David. Not, you know, cheese and bread runner David. Not, you know, harp player David. Not on the run David. Not in caves outcast, you know, accused David. No, King David. There's something to that day. But I can imagine inside David, it was probably incredibly emotional. All those years in caves. All those years on the run. All those years. And now, we acknowledge that God has put you in this place. You are the king. The promises of God never fail. If you're waiting, I just want to encourage you. God is never a day late. He is always right on time. They may not happen according to our timelines. You've got things in your life that you're dreaming about, that you're hoping for, that you're holding on to. And God, when are you going to come through for me? And let me tell you, he's always right on time. His promises never fail. They just don't happen according to our timelines. David is crowned king. But it's interesting because the David who is crowned king is not the same David who is anointed king. Not even close. See, the David who was anointed king was just a boy. He spent his time out in the wilderness with sheep. The biggest thing he'd ever fought were, you know, bears and and lions and things, right? He he was just a kid. The youngest brother, he didn't have this wealth of life experience. He just knew, he knew dirt, he knew slingshots and rocks. Like, that's what David knew. He was just a boy. But this David, This was an entirely different David now that is crowned king. See, this David had learned humility while spending all those years in the wilderness, and anointed king. When you're anointed king and you're waiting, you learn maybe I'm not as important as I think I am. Maybe it's not just about me, right? He had learned humility; had been crushed out of him. He'd learned the power of hope as day after day after day he'd constantly reminded himself, God said. Can't give up on this. God said he had learned how how hope actually brings you through when you're struggling. You know, you can't do anything without hope. If we don't have hope, it's over. We need hope. There's something about hope. And David had learned that. He had learned to be fearless as each enemy that threatened him was defeated by the Lord who fights for me. Goliath comes at him. Hey, guess what? God fights for me, defeats him. Saul comes at him. Guess what? God fights for me and has protected me over and over again. David sees how God is fighting for him, and he begins to develop this, just continually, a fearless heart. He had learned compassion as he watched King Saul suffer with paranoia and depression, and he continued to let that compassion be be firmed in his heart. Every opportunity he has to kill Saul and he doesn't do it, it's another opportunity to to let that compassion really be proven in his heart. To take root in his heart. I could, but I won't because I care about him more than I care about me. He learned the need for vulnerability as Jonathan stood by his side. His heart had been tested and proven true in caves when there are men saying, kill him now, kill him now, kill him now. He chose not to take the throne by force. David was a much different man who was crowned king than was anointed king. God is more concerned with who we are becoming than with what we are doing. God is more concerned with who you are becoming than with what you are doing with your life. We measure so much of our life by what we do. God cares about who we are. David was not ready to be king when he was anointed. But all that stuff in the for- in the process of becoming God said, "Now you're ready." Now you're ready. We spend so much time paying attention to the product of our hands when God has His eyes set on our heart. We talk about root to fruit. Our roots, right? The roots of a tree are what produce the fruit, right? If you've got trees there right now, I mean, the wind's blowing, the trees, the, what keeps them healthy, what keeps them growing, what keeps them upright is the roots, right? Your roots are your faith. It's your heart. It's who you are. It's what's at your foundation. And that will determine the produce. We get so focused on what's going out of us that we pay no attention to what's going on inside of us. Our hands can easily do things that hide what is in our heart. Jesus is very clear. He says, Listen, there are those who are going to say, Hey, God, look what I did for you. And He's going to say, Get away from me. I don't even know you. You did stuff, but your heart was far from me. You honor me with your words, but your hearts, they're nowhere near me. It's all about the heart. Our hearts matter more, which is why it's so significant that God called David a man after his own heart. See, God spent years and years and years forming David's heart in preparation for what he was going to do. We think we're ready now. And God's going, man, you don't understand. It's going to be decades. (laughs) Now, don't worry. Don't lose hope. God is always right on time. But he's more concerned with who you are becoming than with what you're doing. God, I want to do great things for you. And God's like, listen, i got that covered. I can can do what I need to. I'm more concerned with who you're becoming in the process. Young David was ready to be anointed king, but he was not ready to be king. David was now the man that could lead the people of Israel because God had formed his heart. And let me tell you, lead he did. David led. He led the armies of Israel against enemies one battle at a time. He was like, man, David was a force. When you read through the battles, he went here, oh, and they won. Then he went there, oh, and they won. And they went there and they won. And there and they he just knocked them off. David was a warrior. He knew how to win battles. I'm going to pick it up in verse ten. I read this. It says, And David became more and more powerful because the Lord of heaven's armies was with him. Do you think that would make anybody powerful? Like how how you know, listen, if you had the Lord of Heaven's armies fighting for you, yeah. Listen, my fantasy team would be unbeatable if I had the Lord of Heaven's armies fighting for me. Seriously. The Knicks could use like just one member of the Lord of Heaven's armies with them. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messages to David, along with cedar and timber and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built David a palace. We'll come back to that in a moment. And, And then verse 12, And David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel, and had blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. David became more and more powerful, and God was the one making him that way. David got more and more power. He's king, and now he's just getting more and more powerful as king, and God is behind it. Abraham Lincoln said, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. If you want to test a man's character, give him power. Throughout history, the story has been told of what people who have no character have done when they've received power. Is that, do, I, do I need to list examples of you of people with power who have no character? Is that a good equation? Does it end well? No character plus power. How does that end? It ends poorly, it ends in destruction. It ends in hurt and pain. The story has been told over and over again. If you think about the greatest evils and tragedies in our world, they are inevitably the result of people who were given power who had not the character to sustain it. Almost every major tragedy in our world done by people was power without character. It's been tragic. David was incredibly successful as king. He kept winning battle after power, battle after battle. I mean, he's got power oozing out of him. God is with him so much so that other kings are like, dude, can I build you a palace? I want to build you a." another king sends David Wood and says, I'm going to build you a palace. Like. You know, you're killing it when other kings are like, hey, have a palace, I'm going to just throw you a palace over here. Like, hey, I'm on your side. You're so good. Here's a castle. Don't kill me. Like, I'm a king. You're a king. But like, I'm going to give you a palace because that's how good of a king you are. Right? People. David was just oozing the power and people were throwing stuff at him. Throwing stuff at him. How easy could it have been for David to let that power go to his head? I got the Lord of Heaven's armies on my side i got kings building castles for me. Like, I suffered for this. I, be, I deserve this. I belong here. It's been a long time coming. I went through pain. It's my time now. I'm going to treat myself. am going to treat myself. I'm pretty awesome. Let me ask you, what would you do if you were king? Right? If you had been through what David had been through. If you had had kings chasing you, you'd lived in caves. Guess what I'm building the softest bed. I have sleeping on caves for time. For years I was sleeping in caves. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna live good life now. I'll make up for lost time. I've been waiting to be king for, for years and years and years. I'm gonna make this count. People are gonna know that I'm king. So many times this story has played out and the sentence reads like, reads like this. And the king realized that he had great power and used it to build an even bigger kingdom for himself. The king realized that God had given him power, so he used that power to benefit himself. Over and over and over again, we can read that story. And if David had done that, if this story had played out that way, there are other places in Scripture, and we will read about it two generations from now. Two generations following David where it says a king, when he was firmly established in the kingdom, he turned away from the Lord. When you get power, he said, thanks God, I'll take it from here. Now it's for me. We could have read that and we would not have blamed David because it's human. It's natural to want to, to deserve things for ourselves. David had suffered and waited so long, he was due for some self-indulgence. After all, you know what they say, right? It's good to be king. It's good to be king. Do what you want. But that's not what we read. There are two realizations that revealed David's heart that made him stand out, that made him not walk that way. And the first is this. David realized the Lord had confirmed him as king. It doesn't say David realized the people had confirmed him as the king. So David realized the Lord had confirmed him as king. See, people can call you king, but it doesn't matter what the people say. It means nothing if that's not who God says you are. You are not who others say you are. Life is not a popularity contest. It doesn't matter how popular you are. David understood that being a king was not political. This was not about winning the people's hearts, because if you think that, you lead differently. If you think it's a popularity contest, you play to the people. But if you derive your identity from others, right? Oh, it's, it's dangerous. You do everything you can to gain their approval, to prove that you belong here as the king. You're constantly worried about if the people think that you belong in the castle. David says, listen, God confirmed me as king. I don't need people to affirm my calling. My identity is found in God alone. He said I'm king. And I'm not king because I'm popular. I'm not king because I'm smart. I'm not king because I'm special. I'm not king because I'm strong. I'm king because God has chosen me to be here. That's, again, the humble heart. I'm king because God has put me here, not because I deserve it. God has spoken and placed me where I am. The God who is supreme over all has decided that I belong here. It's an unshakable identity. I'm here because I belong here, not because I'm good enough or I deserve it, but because God's chosen it in his wisdom and his sovereignty. So then the question becomes, why? Why? Why does God want me to be king of all the people in the kingdom? God chose me. Why? Why did God put me here? Second realization. The second aha moment. He realized God had made him king for the sake of the people. For the sake of the people. See, David was king for all the people who weren't king. He became king for all the people who weren't king. Power. Is meant to be leveraged on behalf of those who don't have any. We leverage power for those who don't have power. Our world messes this up so often. We think we have power so that we can flex, to show everybody what I can do, to impress, to prove. Power is meant for me to show off. Check me out. Look at me. Check out the name on the back of the jersey. It's all about me. Look at my power. I want to be on the cover of the magazine. I want my name. I want the recognition. I want the awards. I want the corner office. I want the bigger house. I want this. I want that. To prove how powerful I am. How impressive I am because this is a popularity contest. And David understood it's completely backwards. Power is meant to be used for those who don't have any. Sounds a lot like Jesus. He said he had all the power. He told Caesar, listen, you've got no power over me. He's standing before Caesar and Caesar's like, hey, you know, come on here. And and Jesus says, listen, you'd have no power over me. I can call down armies of angels right now. You don't have any power. I have all power. God has given me everything. And Jesus said, yet I did not come to be served, but to serve. I have all the power. I'm telling you, that's not how power is used. It's not what it's for. That's an abuse of power. And it's possible and it happens so often. Power is abused every single moment of every single day in our world because people are broken. Yet David showed us what a heart after God's is like. David used his power to benefit the people and that's where we come today to this. A heart after his is selfless. The heart after God's is selfless. It cares not for self. Philippians chapter two says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his power. He gave up this stuff. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human. This is the divine God. He was like like better than Thor. Right. He, he had he had all the hammers. He could do anything. And he said, I'm going to come down and be like you. I'm going to give up my power to serve people. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself. He died a criminal's death on a cross to the opposite of a selfless heart is an entitled heart. It's for me. It's for me. I deserve to leverage power for myself. You know who we call that? We call that Saul. So Saul was all about. Power is for me. I'm going to cling to power. I'm going to pre- preserve power. I'm going to fight for power. Everything is about a threat to me. It's all about me, me, me. And David said, I'm responsible to leverage power for others. I need to be selfless. God uses His power to bless us. Psalm 23. i been reading it almost every week. Written by David in those caves. This is what he learned. He says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside. Okay, who's got the power to do this? God. And what does he do? He says, with my power, I'm going to give it to you so that you can rest. He uses his power because I can rest because God's got me. Because I know the power of Almighty God is fighting for me. I don't have to cling to power. I can rest. Because He's using His power for my good. He lets me rest. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. Bring honor. Listen, how much of this is for God and how much this is for us? He's doing good for you. For you. Leveraging power to do good for you. Bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your power is close beside me. Your rod and your staff. Listen, the rod and staff, those aren't like just walking sticks. For a shepherd, that's his weapon. God's, God carries a big stick. says, I'm walking with you. Go ahead and mess with him. See what happens. I got you. They protect and they comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my... God's got all the food. He prepares. He hosts. He spreads the table. I cannot wait to eat in heaven. The donuts are going to be so good. Those donuts were good, as you guys brought the other day. But I mean, these donuts are going to be like heavenly donuts. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. Who's got the power to anoint? God does. Who am I? I'm nothing. But he says, listen, I'm going to make you something. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to use my power to give you significance and value. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I get what? Well, I get to live in his house forever. I, I, I like our house. Our house is nice. That house. The God of all power, I'm sure he's built like a pretty sweet crib. It's nice. It's a nice place. We get to live there forever. God uses his power to bless us. Psalm 23 reminds us, David proves it. A heart after his is selfless because it uses its power to bless others. So what? So what? Thank you for that nice little talk about David. I'm going to walk out of here into a pretty nasty, rainy, gray day, and so what? Since God uses his power for us, we don't have to keep ours to ourselves, and we are free to use our power for others. So the question I have for you today, and only you can answer this. I can ask it. I cannot answer it for you. What power has God given to you? And who is it meant to bless? What power has God given to you? And who is it meant to bless? I, You're like me when you get power. Temptation is to use it for self. Say, hey, God, thanks for this. I'm going to go bless myself with this. Who do you have the power to bless? God has given you a name. He's given you a role. He's given you influence. He's given you power. You don't, I don't care who you are. You're going to sit in this room saying, I don't have power. Yes, you do. Everybody in this room has been given power. You've been given influence. You may be called mom. You may be called dad. You may be called brother, you may be called sister, you may be called friend, you may be called CEO, you may be called captain of the kickball team. It doesn't really matter. You have power. Somewhere you have power that comes from God. And he has all power and he chooses to entrust it to us. God gives us power. I think the measure to which God gives us power often has to do with what we know to do with it. God said, I'm going to anoint you, David King. I want to, but you're not ready to handle that kind of power yet. Because you're not who you need to be yet to wield it. The more power you have, the more responsibility that you carry. Great weight. What power do you have, and who does it have the potential to bless? A heart like His. This week, here's what, an action step, an X factor, one thing you can do. Every day. At the end of each day, how about at the end of each day, you make a list of all the people that you were able to bless with your power. They don't need to know it, but at the end of every day, say, I was able to bless these people with my power today, with what God has given to me. With maybe you're just, it could be, I had the power to open a door to serve somebody. I had the power to care for somebody. I had the power to listen to somebody today to bring them comfort. I had the power to help somebody with this. I had the power to stop what I was doing and help them with that today. And I did it. You have power all throughout your day. I had power to be kind to somebody. I had the power to be thoughtful, to write a letter, to encourage, to lift up. Right? Who did you bless today? How much good can God do through you? Because you're willing to leverage your power for others. Think about it. How much good could God do through you? Because of your willingness to leverage your power for others. Last last thought and the team can come on up. Selfless hearts produce selfless kings. And selfless kings bless nations. Read that again. Selfless hearts produce selfless kings. And selfless kings bless nations. David recognized that the Lord had, had confirmed him as king. My identity comes from God. And not only did he confirm me as king, but he made me king for the benefit of the people. And David became a blessing to a nation. What can God use you to bless? Who can God use you to bless? It starts with your heart. It's not about your hands. It's not about how good you are, how smart you are. It's not about, you know, how powerful you are. It's not about anything like that. It's about, are you willing to let God use you to bless others? What kind of blessing can you be to your family? If you used the power that you have in your family just to be a blessing at home? What kind of blessing could you be to your friends? Kids, what kind of blessing could you be in your school? To your friends, to your teams, to your clubs. What kind of blessing could you be to your office? To your business? What kind of blessing could we be to this community, to the world? We said, God, we want to, the power that you've given us, God, just want to use it for others. Let's just pray this morning. God, we have more power than we know. And the impact of our power is determined by our heart. Lord, And it's very possible that there have been moments where we use our power, the power that you've given us, that you've entrusted to us, just to serve ourselves. And God, for that we just confess. That's wrong. I confess it. Lord, that's wrong. You never intended for us to use our power to benefit ourselves. Lord, you are the one who blesses us with your power. It's more than we need. But when you give us power, it's to use for others. As we're praying here today, if you're here and you say, I want to use... I need God to use my power in different ways. I need to I need change today. I recognize that I haven't been using my power the way that I should. God, I confess that. And God, I want to invite you to use me to be a blessing to others. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. Would you just raise your hand and say, God, I want you to use me to be a blessing to others. God, would you look around and see our hands? God, would you see our hands and look down? Lord, I see a bunch of Davids, God. A bunch of people whose heart desires to do what's right. Use us, God. Please. Lord, capture our hearts and let them be like yours. Lord, do your transforming work. Start from the inside out. Help us to steward what you've given us well. And let us not grasp for what you've given us and, and just say, how can it benefit me, Lord? But... Lord, just give us a paradigm shift in our life and change us from the inside to the outside. Lord, present us this week. Lord, I ask that there will be opportunities all throughout this week to serve others with our power. Open our eyes to perceive those moments and let us seize them. Let us seize every single moment that you put in front of us to serve somebody with our power. Lord, make us a blessing to those around us. We commit ourselves to you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.